Amen. Thanks for reading, Pastor Chris, those passages of Scripture. And I want to just say, good morning. Are you excited to be here today? I am. I'm excited to be here today, too. Uh, because today we're starting a brand new journey as a church, and we've been praying that this journey that we're calling Believe will be a game changer in your life. And uh, just, I'm going to dive right in. Have you ever heard of um, a Gallup poll? What's called the Gallup poll? It, it, it's basically, in the 1930s, George Gallup Sr. and his family basically invented modern day polling. And so they, for decades and decades, the only polls you ever heard of were made by Gallup. That was the company that was trying to find out what people thought, what people did, what people, what people experienced, and just to gather all that information in the most scientific way to be able to give people a sense of where people were at. And so they did this for years and years. But from the 1930s, and, and later on, other companies started to do polling like the Gallups did, and now there's tons of organizations that have polls. Uh, but the Gallup poll, you probably, every day, they're coming out with a new poll, and there's always something that they're studying and giving us information about. In the 1990s, George Gallup Jr., so the, the son of the founder, um, he wrote a book called The Saints Among Us. Now, the Gallup family were Christians, and uh, Gallup, uh, George Gallup Jr., wrote this book, The Saints Among Us. And it was a, a national study um, of people asking them what they thought of Christian beliefs and Christian practices. And um, so they were turning their expertise in polling towards Christian beliefs and practices and seeing what, how people would respond. And they had 12 beliefs and practices that they were asking people about. I'll give you three just as an example. They'd have a statement like, I believe Jesus was fully divine and fully human. Do you agree or strongly agree or disagree or strongly disagree? You know, you could be on either side. I believe the Bible is the word of God. Agree or disagree? I pray. I pray to discover God's will. That would be more of a practice. I agree or disagree. So they had 12 of these statements that were sort of basics about the Christian faith. And they were asking them to everybody. So some people who were answering were Christians. Some people were not. Um, And the big reveal, the big sort of aha moment that made George Gallup write the book, The Saints Among Us, was he discovered that there were people who had agreed or strongly agreed to all 12 of the statements, and so he put them in one category, and then there were people who disagreed or strongly disagreed with all of the statements, every single one of the 12 statements. And so he said, I'm going to look at the outcomes of those two groups. Now, beyond those 12 statements, they had many questions about their experiences in life and how life was going for them and how they viewed the world. So it was quite a comprehensive study. So for those who agreed with all the 12 statements and those who disagreed, the difference was remarkable. I'm going to tell you just five of the differences, okay? For those who agreed and strongly agreed with these Christian beliefs and practices, all 12 of them, they had a different kind of joy than those who did not. It was different qualitatively and quantitatively. First, qualitatively, those who disagreed with those statements, they still experienced joy in their life. But it was mostly dependent on circumstances. So happy occasions brought them joy. But sad occasions, the joy would be gone. But 
those who agreed with those 12 statements, those Christians, they experienced joy even when the circumstances weren't very agreeable. So that was something that was remarkable. And also, they reported in their life having twice as much, when they gave their response on the joyful side, they recorded they had twice as much joy as was recorded as people who disagreed with all the statements. That's one difference. The second big, I'm going to give you five, the second was there was a significant difference in their ability to forgive people who deeply hurt them. Now, I know from my own experience that that's what I've seen too. When people come for counseling, and we usually get to that point where I say, well, I think you're going to probably do better on in life if you forgive. Christians, even though it's hard for them to forgive, are usually able to forgive. And I found with those who don't have that same uh, faith in their lives, they really struggle first to accept that forgiveness is right or just or good. But even if they say, I want to forgive, they find it much, much harder to forgive. And that's what Gallup found as well. Here's a third one. Those who agreed with the faith statements, the 12 statements, they had much more tolerance for people who were different from them. So they're more likely to say, that person's different from me, but you know, we can get along and we can, we can have a relationship. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, they were less likely to say that. The fourth one, they were much more likely, those who agreed, much more likely to have a compassionate heart towards those in need. In fact, Gallup reported in his book, The Saints Among Us, that it seems like when you poll organizations, whether they're secular or Christian organizations, whose goal is to help people with big needs, that the vast majority of their volunteers were Christians because they have this motivation from their faith to give themselves to those who can't give back. They can't give them anything in return. And then the last one, Those who agreed with the faith statements, the Christian faith statements and practices, they were much less likely to be bothered when someone of a different race moved in next door. So that's pretty significant too. That's five of the many differences that George Gallup put out in his book. And he made a summary at the end. He said, a person who knows what they believe and why and practices that faith in cooperation with the Spirit of God within them will become a special kind of person. And he called them the saints among us. There are actually people who've been transformed by this faith in their characteristics, in their virtues, in their life. And it's noticeable. It's measurable. Now, Randy Frazzi, who is the editor of the book Believe, which we have here available to you today, he re-summed up Gallup's assessment, and he said it this way. He said, I think a person who thinks like Jesus and acts like Jesus is on their way to becoming like Jesus. When Pastor Chris read those two lists in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit versus what I would call the fruit of the unholy spirit or the acts of the flesh, it's quite interesting to think of fruit and root or result and where it comes from, right? So these things come from uh, the act of the flesh, and there was things in there like, uh, I'll just read a few of them, rage and selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, jealousy, etc. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is helpful. It's really helpful. When things show up in us, either negative or positive, it's great to know where it's coming from. 
It's great to know the root of the fruit. You can self-diagnose whether it's coming from the Spirit of God and God's work in your life, or you can tell if it's coming from the selfish desires that are within us, just by reading the list. So you say, wow, jealousy is showing up in my life. I know the root because I've read these verses. That's from my own selfish desires. Rage is showing up. That's my own selfish desires showing up. Or what if on the other end, joy is showing up? That's the work of God in me. Or peace in troubled circumstances. That's the work of God in me. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You know what is really good for revealing good and bad fruit in your life? One of the absolute best things I know to reveal good and bad fruit in your life. A pandemic. I mean, have you learned anything new about yourself in the last six months? Six months ago was the first case in Saskatchewan of COVID-19. Since then, lots has happened. A lot has happened. And what's happened in you? What's bubbled to the surface? I mean, for some people, they actually sort of, there's a few that actually like this last season. I can think of introverts, people whose kids were in way too many programs and they're sick of driving them around everywhere. People who are making less money, but now on the government assistance through the CERB, they're making more money. Some people are like, hey, I could do with a whole lifetime of this. This was great. But most of us, that was not our experience. There were unique new stresses come into our lives that brought pressure on us. And when that we got squeezed, things got revealed. We started to see fruit more clearly in our lives, and some of it was good fruit and some of it not so good. You know what? One of the things that we want to do in this series is we want to do a lot of assessment or self-evaluation. We want to really uh, be able to do that, but we also want to get it sort of in a public way too. And so I want to get as much feedback as possible from you. So whether you're here in the building or whether you're joining us online right now, we're going to do an exercise right now and just ask two quick survey questions about the last six months. What, what got revealed? And asking you to assess. So I want you to just grab your cell phone if you want to play along. You can. And I want you to go on your browser. Now, if you don't know the church Wi-Fi password, it's hack... Uh, no, H-A-C Wi-Fi is what it is. So if you go to H-A-C Wi-Fi, you can get on the, on the uh, Wi-Fi here. And go to Kahoot. Dot it. Kahoot. Sort of like a, an owl, a strange owl. Kahoot.it. And then when you go there, you're going to find a spot to put a number in. And the number is listed on the screen here. 322-8318. 322-8318. And if you put that in, is anyone, oh, we've got some in already. Oh, three players. Four, five, six. Good. Okay, if you put that in, once we get enough people that we think we're going to get a great survey result, see, I'm going to try to be like George Gallup. If we get a great survey result, then we'll, we'll start the survey. It's just two questions. It's just two questions, and it's anonymous. It won't reveal what you said. You can tell that you already have a funny nickname for who you are anyhow, so you're hidden anyhow. So it's all anonymous, but it'll help us to assemble some of our own polling, some of our own information of where we are at. How many of you are still trying to get in? Oh, okay, number of hands. We'll wait a little bit longer. We'll get, we got 35 players, 37, 40. Okay, it's still going up. Okay, who's still trying to get in? Yeah, a few left. Okay, 
Give you a few more seconds, and then we'll just ask our two-question survey and jump forward. And we're going to do this every week. This week's the practice run. We get used to it. But every week through this belief series, we want to ask ourselves some questions. Ask ourselves some questions and get a feel for not only where we are at personally, but where we're at as a church. So that's what we want to do. Okay, we've got 68. Who's still trying to get in? Anyone? I think we're going to start the game. All right, it's a game. Let's start the quiz. Let's start the survey. Here we go. So our Believe poll, September 13th. Here's the first question. After, over the last few months, which fruit of the Spirit do you wish you had more of? <laughs> Here we go. So joy, that's the red answer. Peace is the blue answer. The yellow answer is gentleness. And the green answer is self-control. And we already have 30 answers. Okay? Which of the fruit of the Spirit over the last few months, so think back of the last six months, which fruit of the Spirit do you wish you had more of? Think about family discussions, thinking about uh, your social media interactions, you're thinking about uh, just the experience of going through COVID-19, the uncertainty, you're thinking about what you did in the last six months. I don't know. What do you wish you had more of? We've got 81 answers. That's awesome. Oh, we've got all our answers, 82 answers. Here we go. Number one, survey says, now it's like family feud, survey says self-control is number one. Wow, self-control. 37% of you, or 30 in the room here, said self-control is number one. And peace is number two. Wow, gentleness at 17% and joy at 16%. So 37% said self-control, 30% said peace. Do you know what, that jives with the nine o'clock service? Self-control was number one, and peace was number two. The the fruits of the Spirit they wish they had more of in the COVID season. All right, let's go to our second question. Okay, our second and last question here on this survey. Between March and now, how would you rate your spiritual growth? All right, so here's the options. A significant leap forward, a small step forward, not much has changed, or took a step backwards. So the red one, a significant leap forward. The blue one, a, signif- a small step forward. Yellow, not much has changed. And green, took a step backwards. Okay, so just be honest. It's going to be anonymous. And, but we want to know where we're at as a church. And, uh, and this is a great way to find out. So we already have most of our answers, 75 answers already. This is great. All right, just a few more. Waiting for one more answer, I think. Or more. We got even more. Maybe we even have more. Someone's still really undecided. (laughs) At this point, I would just encourage you to press a button. We'll wait. We will wait 45 seconds for you, but just letting you know, we're all waiting. We're developing the fruit of the Spirit called patience. Are we there? Oh, he's going to wait a little bit longer. All right. Wow, what do you think it's going to be? What do you think? How many think it's going to be, the majority is going to say a significant leap forward? How many think the majority will say a small step forward? How many think the majority will say, took a step backwards? 
And how many of you say, stayed the same? Yeah? Okay. Well, here it is. 88 answers. Okay. A small step forward is the winner with 36%, followed by not much has changed, 32%. A significant leap forward has 19 and took a step backwards is 13. That's pretty similar, pretty similar. There's a lot more not much has changed in the 11 o'clock crowd than the, the 9 o'clock crowd. But small step forward was the number one at nine as well. So that's, that's good to see. That's good to see. You know what? It's good to see good things happening. It's also great if the, one of the biggest things that you might have done this morning is just be honest on a survey. Good for you. That is really great. And it's very essential in order to getting to where we want to go. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. So thanks for participating in that survey. We've learned some things about where, we're, where we've been and what we wished had been. Now let's move forward from that. Paying attention to the fruit in our lives is helpful. It reveals the fruit, where we're getting things from, where we're, what we're being changed by, whether it's the spirit or, the, or our own desires, uh, our own sinful desires, but it also reveals what we believe. It also reveals what we believe. That's why the series is called Believe, because it starts with belief. It starts with what do you believe, and out of that, what do you do? Because belief leads, should lead to action. Truly, deeply held belief leads to action. And then out of what you believe and do, who are you becoming? Hopefully, you're becoming like Jesus. That's the Christian path. But some people are scared to have the things they struggle with revealed. I think lots of us are that way. I think it's especially true in the church community. We're maybe afraid that if people knew uh, there were areas where we struggle or areas where we haven't, it doesn't seem like we've grown much, or maybe even areas where we doubt, uh, that we wouldn't want people to know. What, would they judge us? Um, would they still love us if they knew how we doubt or what struggles we have in our lives? And maybe even just admitting these things to ourselves is challenging. What if I admit to myself my doubts or my struggles? Will, uh, will that destabilize my faith? And then what if I bring that into the light where God can see it? What if I'm speaking to God about that? Will he be, will it, will, what will I experience? Will, is God so disappointed? Is, is God pointing his finger at me in accusation for the way that I fail to live up to what I'm called to? I think the way to answer that is look at how Jesus responded. Jesus is the best view that we have of who God is, right? So look at Jesus. Look at when God became flesh and dwelt among us. How did he respond to those who struggled? Jesus had a friend and a disciple named Thomas, and, and uh, Pastor Chris read about him. He's often mentioned as doubting, doubting Thomas, the famous doubter. But the funny thing about the story when you read it is you realize that Thomas really wasn't doubting much more than the rest of the disciples. They all doubted the resurrection too. Let's read the scripture again. It says, Now Thomas... One of the twelve was not with the disciples. This is John 20, 24, and 25. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. That's an important detail. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, it will not believe. So he was nailed to the cross and he had a spear thrust through his side. And he says, I want to see the scars. I'm not just going to believe because you guys believe. Now, they didn't believe initially, too. That's, they were all doubting Thomases, right? The, the women were the first 
um, the women disciples were the first um, witnesses of Christ's resurrection, and they came and told the men, and the men didn't believe them, which is really embarrassing because later, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, those same men were going to have to write in the Scriptures that they didn't believe the women. They were wrong, and the women were right. Oh, my goodness. And all of history can read it, right? Man, those dumb guys. Like, can you believe that? You're under the influence of the Holy Spirit writing Scripture about how you're a bonehead. <laughs> that's crazy. Anyhow, that's not my point today, but I think it's real fun. Anyhow, they didn't believe. Nobody believed. And so, but Thomas hadn't seen the Lord. They saw the Lord. Now they believe. That's what changed their mind. Unless I see the nail marks, unless I put my finger inside, I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again. This is verse 26. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, which was good because they probably would have been alarmed. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, one of the greatest statements of belief in the early disciples that was made then, he just simply said, My Lord and my God. He believed. Do you notice that Jesus didn't reject Thomas because he initially doubted that Jesus rose from the dead? He didn't reject him or any of the other disciples who also doubted that. He invited Thomas to come close to him. He said, I've got doubts. I've got struggles in my life. You know what? Jesus is not saying, well, then stay away from me. He's saying, well, then come close. Come close and receive from me what you need to believe and to overcome your struggles in your life. But so many times we think of it differently. I don't want to, I've got struggles, so I don't want to come close to God. I got struggles, so I don't want to come close to other people. I got struggles. I don't even want to be honest to myself. And I think you'll discover as you read the scriptures that Jesus was so gracious with those who struggle. Another story that stands out to me is the one about the, the father who had a son and he was not well and they brought him to the disciples to be healed and it didn't work. And then he brought him to Jesus. And this is Mark chapter 9 and verse uh, 21 is where I'm reading. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. And then he, at the end of his conversation, he says, but if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So you can see that there's some uncertainty in him, but there's also some desperation. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' response is interesting. He says, if you can, if I can, <laughs> everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, he's just, this is possible. Can you imagine hearing this as a father? He said, this is possible. My son could be better. It's possible for the one who believes. Oh, there's a, there's a condition. Am I one who believes? Do I believe enough? Why well, some days I feel full of faith and other days I don't. And I've got all sorts of struggles and difficulties and hang-ups in my life. And is that what's stopping my son from being healed? Is it possible that I believe enough? Or is it possible I don't? Am I one who believes? Is I am, am I what Jesus is describing? And then he responds with probably the most honest exclamation you could ever have. He just said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He's saying, I'm a mixed bag of motivations. 
I've got all sorts of stuff swirling inside of me right now. I'm coming. I came to you. That shows there is some faith. But yes, I did say, if you can help, because I'm full of uncertainty. I'm bought back and forth between belief and unbelief. Do I still count as a person that could possibly experience God doing something big in my life? I'm desperate, and that's why I'm here. I did everything I could to make things work for my son, but I need a miracle from you, Jesus. Do you count me as one who believes when I struggle so much with unbelief? And what was the result? Well, Jesus' response was merciful. He didn't get after the dad because he struggled. He took pity on him, and he healed his son. And I think Jesus' example with Thomas, with this father, with so many others, is what caused the early disciples, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write how the church should act with those who struggle. It was Jude, who's like a half-brother of Jesus, who was one of the leaders in the church. And this is what he wrote, Jude one twenty-two. It says, Be merciful to those who doubt. That's the church. Merciful to those who doubt. Merciful to those who struggle. Merciful to, that, to those who are on a journey to becoming like Jesus, but they surely have not arrived, which we never fully do in this world. But, but there's lots that God wants to do in us and transform us in this lifetime. So I think if, if people knew deep down that when they come to God, they can approach God in the area that they struggle or they feel they failed Him, and they won't receive rebuke and accusation. They'll receive mercy and grace and support and direction and guidance. And they could approach people in the church and they re- receive mercy and grace and support, direction and guidance. And they could maybe even be honest with their own self-condemning heart. I love the verse that says that God is greater than our heart. When our own hearts condemn us, is what it says. God is greater than our hearts. All of these obstacles can be overcome. A right view of God, a church that operates in the same kind of grace Jesus did, and even our own self-condemning heart can be overcome. If that's true, then there's a huge opportunity for us to grow. There's a huge opportunity for us to change is a huge opportunity for us to be transformed in the areas that we look at and say that's never changed my whole life anything I've tried to do didn't change it and I don't believe it could ever change there's a huge opportunity to hope again so what would you do with that opportunity what should you do with that opportunity I think if you know there's a chance for you to see change in an area that has been unchanged before and now you're saying this whole church is going on this journey everybody's going to walk in grace everybody's going to be all looking to become more like Jesus in areas that they're not right now I think the first thing you do is you want to get real clear you want to get real clear about the areas in your life where you have the greatest potential to change. The areas where you have the greatest potential growth and the greatest potential to be strengthened in these areas. I think you want to get really clear with that and God wants to help you with that. 
God's willing to help you with that. In the book we call Revelation, Jesus gives a, a revelation of where churches are at, individualized churches. There's seven churches listed in the Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And I'm just going to read you one of those assessments he gives to one of those churches. It's Revelation 2, 2 to 5. I'm just going to read a few verses. I know your deeds. This is what Jesus writes to the churches through the inspiration he's giving to John. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Isn't that good? Wouldn't it be great to hear from God? You're hardworking. You persevere. Whew, from God? Oh, that's awesome. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Oh, okay, what kind of wicked people? Like just run-of-the-mill sinners? No, a specific kind. That you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So these are false teachers who are deceiving people and leading them astray. So they're, they're, they've done the hard work of making sure they are not in leadership in the church. Awesome. You have persevered. Here's the other part, their perseverance. You've persevered and endured hardship for my name. So because they're Christians, because they carry the name of Jesus, they went through persecution and hardship, and they persevered. And you have not grown weary. That's some serious strengths that they have. And that's some serious encouragement. How many of you would love it if you got a letter from Jesus where he outlined where you're strong? How many of you would like that? That'd be good. Only six of you want that. Seriously. What, what do you want in life? I mean, seriously, can you get better than that? I mean, you want encouragement from God. That's what it is. So he encourages this church. Hardworking and perseverance. But then there's the second half of, the, of, his, of his writing to them. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. That means change your mind, change your actions. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So this church has one significant growth area, which is crucial for them to grow in if they want to continue to be a bright light for Jesus in the dark world. And it's their area of love. Their love for God, and always that spills over into love for others because those are connected. You can't unconnect them. That's how they work. So it's that area of love. They've forsaken it. It's sort of fallen by the wayside, whether they've neglected it or something happened. But somehow, love is not really, they aren't abounding in love like they once did. And so he's saying, your hard work is commendable especially dealing with people who bring false teaching to the church, then you dealt with that, that's hard work. Good for you. Your perseverance is commendable. You've taken some hits because you're one of my followers in the world. Good for you. But, you've, but if you don't address this one area, this is the area where it's your biggest opportunity to grow. And if you don't address it, it's crucial for you to grow. Your light in the world will ought to be snuffed out. So how can we discover our strengths and our opportunities to grow? Well, I'm not waiting for another book of Scripture necessarily to be written about Hillcrest. I think that's not coming. But you know what? I think it's a prime time for us to take stock of where we're at. We've had six months 
And we've had the advantage, the, the, the blessing, I'll say, of COVID revealing some stuff, bringing some stuff to the surface. And some of it was good fruit and some of it was bad fruit. I think this next season, where COVID, whatever COVID has revealed, I think this next season, season is for this belief journey we're going on to heal. Like, I used to be so discouraged whenever I noticed, like, struggles with sin or selfishness or whatever in my life. I still get a little bit discouraged. But, you know, some things have happened along the way. I think maybe our set-free journey as a church and some of those things really helped me. Because I've gone to realize that when God shows me something that's in my life that isn't great, it's like he's taken my heart and, and turned up a dark corner that I never sort of saw before. And I realized, oh, that's in me too. I used to get so discouraged. But I don't get so discouraged anymore. Why? Because I believe he's merciful to those who doubt. He's merciful to those who struggle. And in his mercy, if he's revealing something or allowing it to be revealed, then that must be his timing. Like if I went years without even knowing that I was not doing well in a certain area or that I didn't believe or or didn't practice what I should be practicing as a Christian and then suddenly I noticed it, why now? It must be God's time to deal with it. And I just believe that if he's showing me that, then he is not just leaving me to wallow in despair that, oh, woe is me, I'm undone. There's nothing that can be done. No, I believe that he wants to lead me, guide me, and give me everything I need in order to see a change in that area. So when you see sin in your life, you can either despair or you can go, it's God's time. He's showing this because he wants to do work in my life. So what are, how can we discern our strengths and opportunities to grow? I want to talk about the, the Believe journey a little bit here. If you go to our church website, which is hillcrestmj.com, if you go to our, you can see the Believe assessment. It'll just actually pop up. You don't have to go fishing around for it to find it. It just pops up right away, and you can do it right away. It takes about 10 minutes to do. It's about 60-some questions. And they're all related to the 10 most common practices, or no, 10 most common beliefs that Christians have. And then the 10, and built on top of that, or built with that, is the 10 most common practices that Christians do. And then 10 virtues. So it's what you believe influences what you do, and and both of those influence what you're becoming. Right? So those things at the top are mostly the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, godliness. All those things. Self-control. Those things are at the top, right? Now, these things all work together. I did them linear, but your practices affect your beliefs. Your beliefs affect your practices. It's, it's a little more cyclical, but whatever. I'm not splitting hairs over it. If you go to the website and fill out that survey, you'll see it will report your strongest belief, your strongest practice, your strongest virtue. And also, your greatest opportunity to grow in belief, your greatest opportunity to grow in, in practices, and your greatest opportunity to grow when it comes to virtues. Now, you say, well, that sounds sort of clinical. It was not clinical when I did it. I went out for a day of prayer at Kettleston Camp, got the use of someone's cabin out there, and while I was out there, I was doing this survey. And I want to tell you, I got up from my chair. It took me more than 10 minutes because it became a very spiritual experience. I think when you, before you do the survey, you should pray. Before you do the survey, I think you should pray about it. And this is what I would say. Lord, show me where you have worked in my life so I can give you praise. That's the strengths, right? Look, oh, there's a strength in here. God must have brought that into my life through my walking with him. 
Thank you, Lord. I praise you that you've done this in my life. It's encouraging. And then show me where work is needed in my life so I can give you permission. I'll give you praise for what I'm strong in, but in the area of weakness or in the area that I need to grow, I want to give you permission. I want this whole season to be a season of permission that, that you can lead and you can guide and you, you can call the shots about what I should address, that thing that's most essential for me to address in my life. So I was doing this assessment, and I would get up, and I would I'd realize the questions were like, they were easy to answer quickly, but then sometimes I stopped for a while, and I got up and I walked around and prayed, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm actually really going there. I'm actually being honest with myself. I'm being honest with you. In fact, I want to be brutally honest because I want to experience the most growth. And some of this honesty I'm doing now is going to lead into being honestly honest with others because I'm going to go with others on this journey. So it was pretty significant for me. So there's lots of prayer that actually happened in the middle of the survey as I was like, do I really want to write, you know, a low score here? <laughs> is that the truth? Okay. So there's some low scores that troubled me, bothered me, but at the same time gave me hope because of the journey that we're about to go on. So I would encourage you, first step is to do the assessment yourself. Now, if you really don't trust yourself to do the assessment accurately, you can take the second step, which I've done. Now, you might be fine. Most people would just be like, I did the assessment. I know where I need to grow. Seems like the Lord's confirming that. Let's go, right? But if you're like undecided, you could take the second step. And the second step I took was I asked three people to assess me. So these are the three people. One of my teenage boys, he was very honest. One of my coworkers, they were very kind, because we worked together, but very clear about what they saw. That was good. And then um, there's one more person, someone who knows me really good. Uh, oh, yeah, my wife. <laughs> I haven't read that one yet. I think I need to be sitting down, <laughs> well-slept, full belly, <laughs> Then we'll digest the contents of the assessment. So I'm just getting some other people's perspectives because I've done the assessment. I see the areas where I think are the key growth areas, and now I'm going to get their, key, their feedback if I'm missing something, if I have a blind spot. You don't have to do that second step, but if you want to, you can, and they're even available out there. You'll see a, a package out there for that. But get real clear. You have a huge opportunity. I would get real clear. And then this is, what, this is, this is how we're going to work through it. There's a book. It's called Believe. You saw it on the table. Maybe you've taken one. If you haven't taken one, there's one free per family. If you want more than one, because sharing is not one of the fruits of the Spirit you have, well then, just, that's not, I'm just joking, right? Okay, then you can do a donation and get another book. But you get the book, and there's 30 chapters in there, the 10 beliefs, the 10 practices, the 10 virtues. You start with reading the first chapter. Read it this week. Next week, we're going to teach on it. First chapter is entitled God. So simple. But it's just scripture. It's a Bible reading plan. But it's very targeted towards these areas. And so you start with that. You read that. And then after you've read those scriptures that talk about God and undergird the beliefs that Christians have, then come and hear the teaching every week. Whether you're here or whether you're joining us online. Hear the teaching every week that will help you in that area. And then talk about it with others every week. Some of you were in a life group last fall and you want to be back in your life group again. Maybe your life group leader doesn't know that. I would just grab your phone right now and just text your leader and say, I'm in for believe. I'm in. Can't wait. 
Or you're not in a life group, you want to get into a life group, then you could uh, email groups at hillcrestmj.com and Pastor Dave Moore, our, our pastor of life groups, will contact you and see if he can get you into a life group. Or maybe you're in a more restricted cohort bubble of some sort. Do it with those people. Or maybe you just, you're sticking to your family. You're just, just us and your family through this whole season. Do it with your family. Find someone to do it with. Find someone to do it with so that you can read about it, hear the teaching, and talk about it every week. Let me read to you from 2 Peter 1, 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So what what are our resources for this? His divine nature or his divine power, sorry, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is, is essential. So we have that. At our, have that. And then um, we have our knowledge of him. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. So the example of Jesus and our relationship with Jesus is the second factor. So you've got the Holy Spirit empowering. You've got Jesus showing what it looks like to live like Jesus. You want to be like Jesus. There's your example. But also you have relationship with Christ. And through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises. You've got the Bible playing that role, the scriptures, the very words of scripture undergirding all this, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That's becoming like Jesus. That's becoming like Jesus. Having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. You want to escape? Say, I thought I'd never escape. I thought I was stuck with that issue, that struggle, that doubt, whatever it is. Well, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got Jesus, and you've got the Word of God all working together for you to be set free of those things. And you've got Hillcrest Church who wants to support you in this journey. This is your season. If you've had something that's been stubbornly unchanged in your life and you thought it could never change, I'm going to tell you, this is your season. And so Peter goes on to say, for this very reason, you've got all this at your disposal. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love basically fruits of the spirit all over again if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ so you it's a, it's a stunning statement it's possible to have some sort of knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and still be ineffective and unproductive that's a sad statement So you've got God, his divine power, his word, relationship with Jesus at your disposal for you to be transformed. But it's not the whole equation. Peter says, knowing this, make every effort to see it happen. Make every effort to see it happen. I think there's two responses that miss the point when it comes to this. One response would be this. Wow, it's about changing my behavior, okay, I'll try harder to be nice. This is not the fruit 
of your own willpower or the fruit of your own spirit that we're trying to produce. This is participating in the divine nature, seeing a greater and greater increasing measure of Jesus showing up in us. So if you say, I guess I should just try harder. No, 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 this isn't a try harder. There's some things in your life you can try harder and it changes. Those are mostly the smaller things. The deeper things, you need a work of God. You absolutely need the Holy Spirit to bring conviction, to empower you to change. This is not something you can do just by trying harder. You're asking God to do a miracle in your life. And you should ask for that. You should ask for that. Here's the other response, I think, that misses the point. Well, if God wants me to change... I guess he'll do that however and whenever he wants to. Well, Peter wouldn't have said to make every effort if that was the case. And you think about Jesus. You know what he said? He said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Not those who just sit back and wait for righteousness to fall into their laps. He says, there's a desire component. There's a wanting. There's a a pursuing. Jesus was the one who also said, those who ask, receive. Those who seek, receive. Find. Those who knock, the door is opened. Make every effort. When you have the opportunity, make every effort. I'm going to close with this. I sometimes have people come visit me to talk about where they struggle. I don't do a ton of it, like not like a Christian counseling center or something, but I do a little bit of people coming to talk about their struggles. And when they do... Uh, I often hear a phrase. The reason they're coming to me is because they'll say, I've tried everything. I've tried everything. That's the phrase I hear. And I'm encouraged to hear it, like, you know, that they have tried and that they have worked hard to find a solution. So I, but I usually try to get them to inventory what they've tried. So I just say, well, can you tell me what that means? You've tried everything. What's the everything that you've tried? So they say, well, I tried this. That's good. I'm glad you tried that. But it didn't work. Okay. And I tried this. Awesome. I'm glad you tried that. You know, that didn't work either. Okay. And I've tried this. And I, this area of my life just doesn't seem to change. And it just doesn't seem to be any success in this area. Uh, and I've tried everything. Now at that point, I usually try to help them a little bit with that statement. Well, you've done everything. You've tried everything. But maybe there's been a limit on it. Like maybe you've tried everything you were willing to do. But maybe there's other things that, that other people, from my experience, because I chat with other people who have tried other things, maybe there's other things that other people have done that you haven't considered. Or maybe there's something that's right sitting there playing right before you that you know could be done, but you aren't willing to do it. So you've tried everything up to what you're willing to do, or you've tried everything up to um, what you know to do, but I could tell you some other steps you could try. Or maybe the case is you've done everything you could do without letting anyone know what's going on or asking anyone else to help you. I usually commend them for the fact that they're visiting with me or someone like, you know, I said, oh, you've brought someone else into your struggle. Awesome. That might have been the thing they hadn't done yet. My hope for you 
is that this, this will be a journey where you really will see transformation in those stubbornly resistant areas. I think when I project and I envision what's going to happen in many of your lives, this is what I see. You're going to do the assessment. You're going to see your areas. You're going to know these are the ones that are the big ones for me. You're also going to know that some Sunday, that's going to be the Sunday we're going to talk about one of those areas. You're going to read the scriptures. You're going to hear the sermon. You're going to talk about it with others. But I think that something's going to happen. I think that you're going to feel along the way an empowerment. This is what I'm really believing, you for, believing for. And I look back into my life where I had times where I was struggling and God gave me either a key to unlock that struggle or sort of a strategy or he gave me a new way of thinking or he gave me scripture that supports. You know, there's so many ways that God can, you know, unlock stuff for it, make it work for us and, and change the game. I'll give you an example. So when I was struggling, uh, a particular season of my life where I struggled quite a bit with my thought life, impure thoughts, trying to deal with those, trying to, you know, no, I don't want that, you know, what. God gave me a scripture verse. I read it, you know. It's not, I had read it when I was a kid, but then I was an adult, and now I was reading it afresh, and the scripture verse says, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. So honor God with your body. You know what? The Bible is a sword of the Spirit. And it was like I had been handed a sword. Before that, it seemed like I kept losing battles here and there. And then suddenly, I had in my hands, spiritually, this verse. And I remember I would come to moments of temptation uh, to go somewhere in my mind, and I would grab onto that sword and say, I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I'm going to honor God with my body. The enemy had to retreat. I just, it was amazing in my life that I started to see, I wasn't like lived perfectly at that point, but I started to see more and more victory in my life because I, I had something I believed. I had something I was hanging on to. I had a fighter verse. I think a lot of you are going to get something like that through this journey. I don't know if it'll be exactly that, but I wouldn't be surprised if many of you are going to find a key passage of Scripture that you're, I mean, you're reading Scripture about your area where it's, you struggle to believe or you struggle uh, to walk it out or that virtue isn't showing up that you really hope would be there and you're going to get some Scripture or God's going to give you a word or something like that and it's going to resonate and you're going to hang on to it and it's going to change. I believe that for you. But you've got to take the opportunity. You've got to seize it. I've got lots of areas I need to grow in. I'm going to seize the opportunity. I'm going after it. Because I'm hopeful that the one who said he wanted to make me like Jesus, my Heavenly Father, is going to partner with my yes, with my God do it, with my I believe, help my unbelief kind of prayers and do a miracle in my life too. I want you to stand with me this morning. just invite you to stand. So this morning, I, I'm just asking you to, you know, you've been thinking, you've been hearing, you've been patient with me, and I just want to sort of end with an opportunity to respond 
And this is what I'm going to simply put it out for you. If, you. if this resonated in such a way that you said, I think I'm willing to go where maybe I would have held back. I think I'm willing to be honest with myself, honest with God, and honest with others, maybe selected few others, or maybe just one other, I don't know. But you're honest with somebody else in this journey because I see the potential of getting a victory in this, in whatever area it is. And maybe it's yet to be revealed or to be assessed. I see the potential as worth it. I see it as worth it. I'm going to invite you to come, actually. We haven't done this in our whole six months. It's about time we change the game. I'm going to ask you to come to the front, keep your six feet spacing. God can still work. Leave room for the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you were supposed to say. I invite you to come, if that's you, and, you, and just come to the front. It's a symbol. That's, that walking is a way of saying, it's cementing it in your own heart. I'm going on this journey. I'm going to not let those things that have not worked or not been addressed in my life be unaddressed any further. I want to go forward in God. And I want to have this growth. So I'm going to invite you to come. Just, there's no music playing. Just come now. And if, you're, if that's what you want, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of commitment for this season. A season of, of incredible growth. And a season where God has his way with this church. When I read those accounts in Revelation... I'm just so curious what happened to those seven churches. I'm so curious. Did they respond? Were there lights in the world snuffed out by Jesus himself because they didn't respond? Or were they, or did they respond in their own generation? Did they respond? Did they say, this is the word of God for us? And did they say yes to all that it meant? I don't, maybe we'll never know that till heaven. I'd love to ask that in heaven. What happened to the seven churches? Which ones responded? Which ones didn't? How did it go? Tell me those stories. But you know, I'm hopeful that if I live a few more years, I'll at least get to see this story. And I'll be able to say, I said this in faith. We responded. We said yes. And God began to work, and people began to wield the sword of the Spirit, and people began to walk in victory that they'd never known before, and stubborn, unchangeable things got changed. Let me lead you in prayer here. You just repeat after me. It's just a a prayer of commitment. Merciful Father, I want to grow, I want to be transformed. I want to possess the virtuous qualities that you have in increasing measure. I want to think more like Jesus. I want to act more like Jesus. I want to become more like Jesus. I ask you to show me where you most want me to grow. And lead me in this journey to become more like you. I'm asking for this miracle in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys for coming out today.